Thanks for listening in to the Calvary Podcast, coming to you from Miami, Florida. We're so glad you've joined us. We hope today's message will encourage you and remind you that God is with you and He's for you. Here's today's message. Go to Haggai chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. If you're there, can you say amen? Haggai chapter 2, verse 1, we'll read a few verses. Haggai is a prophet. He's speaking to the people of God. They just finished building or are about to finish building the temple of God, the second temple. And look what it says. The word of the Lord says in verse 1, In the seventh month, on the 21st day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai, the prophet. Somebody say Haggai. Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shetiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehoshadak, the high priest, and to all the remnant of the people and say, who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? Yet now be strong. O Zerubbabel declares the Lord, be strong. O Joshua, son of Jehoshadak, the high priest, be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts, according to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt. My spirit remains in your midst, fear not. Look at the word of the Lord, verse 6. For thus says the Lord of hosts, yet once more in a little while I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. I will shake all nations so that the treasures of all nations shall come in and I'll fill this house with glory says the Lord of hosts the silver is mine the gold is mine declares the Lord of hosts the latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former says the Lord of hosts and in this place I will give peace declares the Lord of hosts out of Haggai chapter 2 let's pause there we're going to talk about this for the next 25 minutes or so and then we'll worship together what is Haggai saying what does this prophecy mean what does it mean to us today as we continue our glory day series uh, today I want us to lean in and focus and uh, really I believe this is God's word for us today us that are living in what I call the Jesus generation Jesus has come he died he resurrected he is now living ruling and reigning forever what does that mean in our life if you're taking notes I want you to write this down I'm writing to I'm talking today from this topic a greater version a greater version why don't you high five three four people around you and tell them there's a greater version come on high five some people around you there's a greater version there's a greater version additional seating all line there's a greater version let's pray and then we'll talk about Haggai 2 and then we'll worship once again. Father, we thank you. We love you. Thank you for today. Thank you for this beautiful day. Thank you as we gather today on the first day of the week. Thank you for each and every service. Thank you for all the people that made a decision to follow you. Thank you because I believe that your glory is here. We walk in your glory, full of your glory. And I pray that our eyes may be open to see you and know you. And if there's anybody here that does not know you today, I pray that they may know you, that they may see you, your goodness, your grace, your love. You're awesome. Thank you for loving people like us. We don't deserve it. We can't earn it, but you are good all the time. We love you and we thank you. And it's in Jesus' name that all of Calvary Church says, Amen. come on, all of Calvary Church says, Amen. 
Come on, 11 a.m. Can you make some noise for Jesus one more time? Come on. This upcoming November, I know we just started the year, but this upcoming November, me and my wife are going now on 15 years of marriage. It's been 15 years. Going to be 15 years. It's been awesome. The Lord really did bless her and looked out for her. And it's been, it's been an incredible, incredible 15 years. And marriage is awesome. We've had the time of our life. It's been absolutely incredible. Any married people in here? All the married people? I, I gave you there. That was your... It, you, that was an alley-oop. You made a lot of noise there. You get brownie points, man. Some of you are like, come on, all the married people, make some noise. Mar marriage is absolutely, any single people here, you're not married. Single people here, additional seating. Mm -hmm. One more time, single people, raise your hand, raise your hand, look around the building, look around additional seating. You got a lot of options. You come to 1 p.m., they're all single and thirsty. But right now, you got some options. But, but those of us who raised our hands the first time, you belong to the married uh, group. Um, once you're in the married group, you, you notice there's a difference between single life and married life. There's a big difference between single life and married life. Single life was awesome. It was fun. It was great. Um, married life comes with commitment. It comes with challenges. It's fun. It's awesome. Uh, but there's a lot of challenging things that will come out once you start cohabiting together, living together, right? The dating phase is fun, right? You, you see each other. You go out. You go to, you know, Chili's. You have a meal. And then you go home and you drop her off home or, or she drops you off home. This is a new generation. I don't know. And then, and then everybody goes to their own house and it's awesome. And then you call each other, right, to say goodnight. And then everybody remember that phase? And you're like, maybe some of you are in that phase right now. You're like, all right, have a good night. Tonight was awesome. Yeah, it was. All right, good night. Talk to you in the morning. Okay, good night. I said, good night. <laughs> okay, hang up. No, you hang up. No, you hang up first. Okay, okay, I'll hang up. You're still there? <laughs> Anybody remember that? I never went through that, but... Um, I'll go to sleep with you on the phone. <laughs> Dating is fun. It was awesome. But, but marriage has been absolutely incredible. When you get to the other side, it is awesome. Marriage is absolutely, you live with your best friend and you have the time of your life. It is absolutely awesome. And we'll be talking about relationships soon. But, but the problem is that once you start living together, you find out certain things about the other person that you didn't know when you were dating. They tell you they live a certain way. They tell you they may be organized and clean and they wash their clothes all the time. But once you live together, discoveries happen. It's like the hamper is meant for you to put clothes in the hamper, not on top of the hamper. It goes in, not on top. Um, do, do you throw your shoes around like that all the time? Like, it's just, I just walk into a land mine of shoes everywhere like you know like it's not my wife I'm just saying vice versa um you you start finding out this is the way you were raised it's the way we come from different cultures different backgrounds different families so all this starts coming out now now in a way it's also really good for yourself because you start almost seeing a mirror you're like oh this is how I am oh I got to change this about me you can't go into marriage saying oh like you need to change everything no I need to change as well 
I can't maybe keep living a certain way. Marriage has a way of confronting you. That perhaps you need change as well. Now, I thought about that example because I think, bring that over to our relationship with God. Oh, it is easy to date God. It's easy. God, oh, Sunday service was awesome. It was awesome. We sang a couple songs, maybe a little too long. My knees were tired, but uh, it was great. Good word. I love you. I'll see you next Sunday. Right? Like dating God, it is awesome. Now, being in a marriage covenant relationship with God, it comes with confrontation. It comes with God giving us a mirror and saying, you need to change this. Ah, I don't like this area here. You got this attitude. You got this little temper tantrum. I saw you on the highway. You, you got to change that. Matt, come on, somebody. Like, it comes with confrontation. Dating God, oh, it's comfortable. Uh, being married to God is challenging. And one of the things that we do not like is change. Don't change me. This is who I am. This is the way I was born and raised. Now I got married and you're trying to change who I am. My parents knew who I was. My brothers and sister, now you come into my life trying to change me. And we do the same thing with God. God, oh, I love you. Bless me. Help me. But don't change me. We don't like change. I noticed that in my own life. I grew up with a mom who every day would change the living room, the bedrooms. I would walk into my house, like, am I in the right house? Everything changed. Mom, you got to move the sofa every day, right? Like, just change. And I wasn't good with change. Not long ago, we got ready for a wedding, and um, they said it was going to be an outside wedding. So I got dressed really comfortable. And it's going to be outside. It was hot. It was sometime in the fall. And I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm going to go extremely comfortable. Diana, you know, finishes taking a shower, getting ready. She comes out. She's like, you're going like that? I'm like, yeah. So it's a wedding, and like it's outside. We live in Miami, AKA like hell, <laughs> right? Like it feels like we are in a sauna. Like this is what this is what sinners can experience a preview of what hell is like. I'm not gonna go suit and tie. It's outside, and she's like, "No, you need to change." And I'm like, "No, <laughs> I'm comfortable. I want to go to a wedding and feel." comfortable. Weddings in Miami, you know they're going to be two hours late, so we're going to sit there for two hours and bake. Then you got the reception, you got all that. We're going to be there at least six hours. I'm going to be comfortable. And then I said, you need to change. And I said, babe, whatever you say, yes. <laughs> we'll talk about that in February. Man, if you want to win, that's how you answer at the end. Yes, love. And so I had to change. But, but we don't like change. God comes into our life and he requires change. There's things in us that God is going to call us out on. And if you have a real authentic relationship with God, if you really walk with him, if you really are committed to him, you will know if you are, if there's been change in your life. That's the proof, right? John writing a letter, the first letter that John writes in the back, the first letter in the back of her Bible, you go back, there's three little letters that he wrote. The first one, first John, look what John says. John says, no one born of God makes a practice of sinning, right? It says he cannot keep sinning because he has been born of God. By this, it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the, yikes, that hurts. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he one who does, nor is the one who does not love his brother. 
For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. John is saying, if you really love God, and if you really have a relationship with God, there'll be change in your life. It'll be evident. You cannot say you love God and continue sinning. Now, now John is not saying we will never sin again. He's just saying you won't be habitually sinning all the time. You won't make it a practice in your life. We'll all fall. We'll all stumble. In fact, two chapters before, he says, if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father named Jesus. Anybody thankful for Jesus at 11 a.m.? Come on. So if you do sin, he says, you're going to be okay. We got Jesus, but don't make it a practice. Because God has stepped in and changed your life. Somebody say change. change. Here's the problem with change. The problem with change is that it comes to disrupt the comfort in our life. It comes to move us and shake us when God wants a covenant relationship with us. He wants a long-term commitment with us. He wants to live with us, not just visit us. And so what we do in American Western Christianity especially is that we chase feelings, but we don't want formation. Or we chase thrill, but we don't want transformation. We chase emotion, we want no commitment from God. And God is like, I just don't want you to know about me. I want you to know me. I want you to walk with me. I want you to hear me. I want you to watch what I'm going to do in your life. A lot of us just know about God. We ask all around our city and our nation. People know about God. There's one thing to know about God. There's another thing to know God. I'm a Heat fan. I think the Heat are the best basketball team on the planet. I'm a Heat fanatic. My favorite player right now, Jimmy Butler. Jimmy Butler, that's him, right? It's my favorite player. I know his statistics. I know his points last game, all of that. Here's the thing. I know about Jimmy. I don't know Jimmy. Never sat down with him, never drank big face coffee with him. I don't know Jimmy Butler. A lot of us, we know about God. We've heard about God. Yes, I go on Sunday, I visit him, I date him, I ask him to bless me, but we don't really know him, know what he's like, know his character, walk with him, hear from him. Come on, God wants you to know him. God wants you to walk with him. God wants you to be led by him. God wants to come inside of you and change you. He's a good God. God wants to be married to us. What do you mean married? Yes, he is the groom and we are the bride. Look what the Bible says in the book of Isaiah, chapter 62, verse 5. As a young man marries a young woman, so will your builder marry you. As a bridegroom rejoices over his bride, so will your God rejoice over you. Wow. God wants a real committing relationship. Not just date, not just know about, not just see each other. In our country especially, we're really good at this. Our nation is really good about talking about God. We, we talk about God all the time. We're a Christian-based nation. We know God and we bless God, yet we do everything that goes against God. We're dating God. We're not in a committed relationship with God as a country, as a people. We have visiting hours with God. Sunday morning, we'll all go to church. An hour, and if it goes an hour and 20, I'm out. My Chili's reservation, somebody will take them. But yet we sit in a football game for three, four hours while it's freezing and nobody has a problem. And so I just think God wants commitment. And yet we want to see the glory of God in our life. We want to see God bless us. We want to see God bless everything that we do. But yet we don't want to be in a committed relationship with him. Maybe today some of us, we've been treating God like AAA. 
Right? Like we, we only call on God when we're in trouble. Let trouble come out in our life. Oh, you will find us here on our knees. Right? Everybody, when they're in trouble, an atheist in a plane going down is like, oh, my God. You just said it. You're an atheist, but you said God. <laughs> right? Like everybody, like, like we, we call on God when we're in trouble. And God's like, if you only knew, I want to bless you more than when you're in trouble. I want to bless you. I want to bless your kids. I want to bless your marriage. I want to bless your family. Come on, we have a good God. He, he says, I have a greater version of life for you. If you really walk with me, if you talk with me, if you yield to me, I'll show you a greater version. And so today I want to put it this way. True transformation happens through relationship, not rituals. Let's not just have rituals in our life where we show up, we see God, we talk to him, cool, then we're out and we don't check in for 7, 14, 21 days, depending when we come back to a building and the building represents God. That won't bring lasting change. Are you following me? Okay, let, let, let's look at Haggai because this is what is happening in the book of Haggai. Haggai was a prophet. If you were with us uh, last year, we studied a book called Nehemiah. Nehemiah was a leader who was living in Babylon, a foreign uh, country. It was uh, an enemy territory. And he says to the king, I want to go back and build the walls of Jerusalem. And the king says, yes, absolutely. And he allows Nehemiah to go. Everybody remember, we studied this last year. He goes. Now, before Nehemiah went, remember, two other groups had gone from Babylon back to Jerusalem. Jerusalem had been absolutely decimated and destroyed. And they go back to rebuild their city. Are you following me so far? Before Nehemiah, two other groups had gone. One of those groups included the prophet Haggai. So Haggai goes to Jerusalem with the group, and they see the city absolutely destroyed. They're like, let's rebuild the temple. Now, there was a temple before that that was absolutely glorious. It was the temple that Solomon had built. David couldn't build it. He gives Solomon the blueprint. My son, I want you to build this. When David dies, Solomon builds an incredible temple, and it was one of the wonders of the world. It was absolutely beautiful. It's where God resided. And so you would go there to pray. You would go there to worship. You would go there to meet God. Enemies come in because the people turn their back on God. Enemies come in and they completely destroy the city. So now Haggai is there. And he's like, let's rebuild the temple. Are you following me so far? This is the second temple. So Haggai, he leads the charge. They rebuild this temple. When it's about to be done by chapter two, Haggai chapter two, they're all kind of looking at it and they're like, this, this is absolutely terrible. This is smaller. It has no gold. It has no silver. It has no glory. Solomon's temple was glorious. It was opulent. It was amazing. This one, eh. And so the people are a little upset, bothered. And Haggai notices, and he gets a word from the Lord. He's a prophet. And he says, oh, one more time. The Lord is going to shake the heavens and the earth, and he's going to fill the temple with his glory. That sounds awesome. That sounds absolutely incredible. What is he talking about though? This is a very small temple, nothing like the old one. What do you mean? And then he says, oh, the latter glory will be greater than the former. The latter, meaning the glory that's coming, oh, it's going to be better than Solomon's temple. And they're all like, oh, I don't know, this is small. It has nothing. What did he mean? Well, for sure, they were going to get gold and silver. In the next few years, uh, the people of God got gold and silver. And yes, they put it in the temple of God. But a few years later, that temple gets destroyed too. Second temple destroyed. What 
is Haggai talking about? What Haggai is prophesying is a messianic prophecy. When he says a greater glory is coming, that word greater in the Hebrew, it literally means a more mature version. A grown-up version of the glory is coming. You're used to this glory. The God who dwelt first in the tabernacle, out when they were in the desert of Moses, then he dwelt in the temple with all the kings. And he goes, but now a more mature version is coming. A grown-up, a greater version is coming. You're used to going to meet God, but pretty soon God is coming to meet with you. You're used to going to a building to see God, but God says, I'm getting out of the building and I'm going to where you are. This is what Haggai is prophesying about. He's saying a Messiah is coming. The glory of God was contained in a building. You and I, if we were part of the people of God back then, if we were Jewish, we would go to the temple and there we would talk to a priest. We'll sacrifice a lamb. Our sins were forgiven for a year and then we would go back home, but there was no transformation. We were forgiven, but there was no real change in our life because all we did was thank God, but not marry God. We went to a temple and the Bible says that the temple was full of his glory. When Solomon dedicated the first temple, the Bible says a cloud filled the temple and they were all like, oh my God, the glory of God is here. The problem is when you left that, the glory didn't go with you. So you would have to go back. And what we had was visiting hours with the glory of God. And it was awesome. And now the second temple gets built and there's gonna be more glory. Haggai said there's gonna be more glory, but that one gets destroyed too. Where's the glory? God says, I'm moving out. The prophecy was a prophecy of God moving out of buildings into bodies. This is the greater version that you and I no longer have to do a pilgrimage to a building, but you can wake up on a Monday morning, on a Wednesday evening, on a Thursday morning, on a Saturday afternoon, and the glory now is in you. You have the Holy Spirit. I got the cloud in me. I got the fire in me. I got God living in me. I'm full of his glory. I'm a carrier of glory. God walks with me. God leads me. He walks beside me. He talks to me. He forms me. He's shaping me. I now walk with God. And I no longer have to go to the temple to meet with God. This is the more mature, a different, greater glory. Fast forward to the New Testament. John is writing the Gospel of John. And look what he says in John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. In the beginning was the... Come on, I know we've been fasting, but in the beginning was the... And the Word was... And the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him. And without Him was not anything made that was made. Now go down to verse 14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His, come on, we have seen His glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John says, in the beginning was the Word. For the Greeks, he's talking to Greeks at that time. John is brilliant. He's trying to persuade them, convince them. They use this word called the logos. Translated to English is the word word. The logos or the word for the Greeks meant a divine reason for creation. Something began creation. 
and they called it the divine reason. Let's just call it the logos. That was their word. The logos started the universe. And so when the Greeks talked about the beginning of creation, they would use logos. John uses that word logos and gives it an identity. He says, it's not just a divine reason. No, his name is Jesus. He is the logos. He is the word. And all of a sudden he became flesh. That glory that began creation put on a human uniform and dwelt among us. That word dwelt there in the Greek means he tabernacled among us. The one that used to be in our tabernacle now tabernacles along you and I. He's with us. He moves with us. He speaks to us. We've seen his glory. We've heard his voice. We've seen how good this God is. We've seen his grace. We've seen his love. We've seen the cross. We've seen mercy. We've seen forgiveness. We've seen the glory of God in Jesus it's a greater glory the problem is a lot of us we still want the old we still want to date God a lot of us what we want is that we want to go in a service and we want to feel goosebumps oh and if I feel the goosebumps oh there was a glory of God and then we go home and we're still cussing out our neighbors we're still mistreating our spouse we're still mistreating our kids we're still lying to the IRS. <laughs> Not saying it's you, I just threw it out there. There's no change. We want, we want the former glory, and God says the latter glory is better. Christians were really good at creating atmospheres. We're really good. Like it felt good earlier in service when worship is going on. And everybody's singing and you're like, oh, this is, I'm, this is the glory. I want to stay here. The problem is Wednesday morning, the band is not going to be in your room. The problem is Thursday evening, the glory of God just showed up. Thursday evening, when you're having a problem with your spouse, the band is not going to show up. This is my firm foundation. They're not there. You need a glory that lives inside of you wherever you go, not one that you visit on a Sunday and feel with emotions. God is not a feeling. He's more than a feeling. He's a conviction. So now he's moved into the building. Jesus dies. He resurrects. And in Acts chapter 2, the Spirit pours out on all hearts. That's what the prophets have been talking about. Haggai first. Look what Ezekiel said. Ezekiel 36, 27. I'll put my spirit within you and I'll cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rule. From a long time ago, God's like, I'm moving out of the building soon. And I'm getting into the hearts. You can go to a million services. I'm not against services. I'm a pastor. I'm not against services. You can go to healing crusades. You can go to everything. You can go to worship seminary. You can be three days in the glory. And it feel like the glory. And that's good. I'm not against that. We should do that. But that's not everything. That's former glory. The glory that's there, I can take to my house. I can take to my job. I can take to my family. Are we dating God? Or are we married to God? Because when I take this glory, it begins to convict me. It begins to change me. And what the world has seen is a lot of that glory, none of this glory. We've seen a lot of Christians getting together for a week. We have a week conference, revival. And we go to our job and we're still the same. 
What was that? Former glory. Visiting. Dating. God, it was a great week. I love you. What a great week. I love you. Had, a, had the best time, God. No, you hang up. No, you hang up. I don't want to leave this conference. No, you hang up. And then we hang up and we go. And we don't take the glory with us. We don't pray. We don't worship. And the world, the world is tired. I think we should be tired of that. That's not real lasting change. That's emotionalism. Sensationalism. That's an outside glory when God wants an inside glory. Because like, I got a greater version for you. All along, I, I've been saying I want to put my glory on the inside of you and you carry it and show the world who I am. God wants a process called sanctification. It's a process where he moves in and he begins to change us, call us out. Hey, today, I need you to change this. Hey, you've been at, you know you haven't been acting right. It's called conviction. Hey, can, can you change that area of your life? And we all feel it. All of us who have a relationship with God and the Holy Spirit lives in you feel it. You can ignore it and keep dating God, or you can yield to the Spirit and be sanctified, matured, and walk in the glory. And I think we got the glory definition all wrong. I want the glory, I want the glory, I want the glory. It's not glory. It's a part of it. How do you treat your spouse? How do you think about your neighbors? Do you love them the way Jesus loved them? Or are we still gossiping, murmuring, backbiting? If we're acting just like the world, then we're not walking in the glory. 2024, come on, let's walk in the glory. Where we wake up and our mornings are glorious we have the Holy Spirit living in us where our evenings are full of glory where our houses are full of glory not a feeling not an emotion but where we get convicted and we want change in our lives when we can look at each other and say hey let's change this about us this is not good what we've been doing is not right whatever that's glory so today I'll finish with these last three points before we go I think I'm a little bit over time what, what can we do what can we do I want to start with number one. We need to recognize. Somebody say recognize. Like today, maybe, maybe you're like me. Maybe we got to look back and say, well, wait, God, I've just been playing Sunday games. I've been visiting you. I've been dating you. Recognize today if you've been living in the former glory instead of the latter glory. God, I, I've, I've just been playing the games where I go to church, I sing a few songs, then I go home and I don't change. Have a moment. We all need to have it where we just sit there and say, God, I want to examine myself. Paul said, examine yourself to see if you are in the faith. Take a look at your life and my life and say, God, convict me if I've just been playing a dating game when I should be in a covenant relationship, glory walking life with you. Jesus, he makes it evident. John, John is, like I said, John is absolutely brilliant at showing that Jesus is God. If you read John's gospel, that's literally his point in writing the gospel. He was trying to show the Greeks, especially, that God is the Messiah. So in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. Then we get to verse 14, and what he says, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Now you get to chapter 2 in John, and in chapter 2, John gives us the first miracle he wants to note down, and the first miracle is at a wedding because he is the groom. 
What a symbolic thing for Jesus to show up at a wedding. First miracle in the Gospel of John. And what he's trying to tell the people of God is, I don't want to date you, I want to marry you. So he shows up to a wedding and he gets to the wedding. They're having a big party, everybody. And all of a sudden the wine runs out. The DJ stops playing. The, the record scratches. No more wine. Back then, that was an insult. If you ran out of wine, you had no more wine for your people. And what is Jesus' first miracle? He, come on, even atheists know. Like, oh yeah, he turned water to wine. I like that Jesus guy. They don't believe in him, but they love that miracle. Right? Jesus didn't turn water to wine because he was an alcoholic. Jesus turns water to wine because it was symbolic of their spiritual life. He's saying your old system of visiting a temple, talking to a priest to sacrifice a lamb for you, it is over. That wine had run out. There's no more life there. It's dry. The system of dating God, it's not going to work anymore. You need new wine. And the new wine and the new glory is here. His name is Jesus. He is the new wine. He is the new way to the Father. He is the glory in the flesh. We beheld him. We saw him. We beheld his glory as the Son of God. That's the new wine. And so Jesus is saying, stop living to an old system of visiting hours with God and get with his son. Where you walk with him, know him, see him. You and I no longer have to wait till a Sunday to experience glory. You can live with the glory Monday through Saturday. Tonight, maybe recognize if I've been living in old wine. Oh, I've just been dating God. I don't talk about Monday through Saturday. Oh, come on, get the new wine of God today. His name is Jesus. Somebody say Jesus. Number one, recognize. Number two, refill. Refill. What that means, tell the Holy Spirit to fill you up during the week. Don't just wait for a Sunday. The Bible says that when we receive Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes into our life. But throughout the week, you can get filled up with the Spirit of God. It's available to every believer, not just pastors, not just bishops. It's available to everybody. That's why Paul writing to the church in Ephesus, he says this, and do not get drunk with wine. Some of you thought that the other example was an excuse to get drunk with wine. No, that is debauchery. But be filled with the... That word filled there in the Greek is the word play ruse. And it literally means to continually be filled day after day after day. In other words, yes, when you got saved, you experienced the Holy Spirit filling you. He's saying every day you need to get filled up. Life is going to throw everything at you and I. It's going to bring some attitude. It's going to bring up the old dust out of it. You know what you need? A fresh filling of the Holy Spirit. God, fill me right here in my living room. Before I go out, God, fill me in my bedroom. Before I, God, in this office, in the cubicle. Before I go strangle my coworker, God, I need a fresh filling. Can I get an amen? Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Another meaning for that word is the wind of God. Be filled with the wind of God. And the, the word picture there is a wind that fills the sails of a sailboat. Play roots say, be filled. When the wind fills the sails, it directs the direction of the boat. What Paul is saying is be filled with the Spirit so he leads your life day in and day out. 
So it's no longer once a year going to see him. Every day, fill my sails. Every day, lead my life. Play roots, say, be filled. Fill me, Lord, lead me, guide me. Come on, somebody, we're not dating God anymore. We got a greater version. We live with God. We're filled with God. We tune into God. God, convict me, change. Call me out, God, in the areas that I need you. Because I want to be more like you. I want to walk in that glory. I don't want to wait for an emotional thing where I just see it. I want to experience it every day. Change me, Lord. Make me better. Let's stand up to our feet all across this place. Number one, we need to recognize. Number two, be refilled. And then number three, remain in him. Jesus told us this in John chapter 15. Abide in me and I will abide in you. He says, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Come on, with every eye closed, every head bowed all across this place. With every eye closed, every head bowed, the Bible says all of us are sinners. I'm a sinner, you're a sinner. There's not one perfect person in this place. I'm gonna ask team, everybody, if you can, to remain still for just a moment. This is the most important part of our service. Every eye closed, every head bowed in a moment of prayer and privacy. If you're here and you say, Alex, I got sin in my life. I've done stuff that nobody knows about. I've thought wrong, done wrong, said wrong. I am a sinner. The Bible says all of us are, and we've all fallen short of God's glory. Our sin separates us from God. The Bible says sin brings destruction. For the wages of sin is death. The Bible says for the price of sin is death. In other words, sin begins to destroy you little by little. Physical death, spiritual death, mental death. Some of us were living in that right now. But the end of that verse says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Sin comes to destroy you, but Jesus comes to save you. The Bible says Jesus came down, God in the flesh. The Word became flesh. He dwelt among us. Then He took my sin, your sin, put it on His shoulders, went up on the cross, and Jesus died on that cross. He paid the price once and for all for all of our sins. He's the only one that could do it. He was the perfect Lamb of God. No longer do you and I have to go to a temple to sacrifice bulls and goats and lambs. He is the Lamb. And He was sacrificed once and for all. He hung there on that cross dead. They brought Him down. They put Him in a grave. But after three days, Jesus Christ, He resurrected. Jesus is alive. Today in the auditorium, additional seating online, wherever you're at. My friend, Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. If you're full of guilt, shame, and you're saying there's no way somebody like me could be full of his glory, let me tell you, today is the day of salvation, the Bible says. He wants to visit you. He wants to love on you. He wants to give you a brand new beginning and a brand new start. With every eye closed, every head bowed, sin separates us from God, but Jesus is the bridge. He's overcome sin and death so that you and I can have life and forgiveness. The Bible says if you believe it in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. With every eye closed, here, additional seating online. If you're saying, Alex, I need Jesus. Alex, I need a brand new beginning. I want a brand new start. I want forgiveness for my sins. I want to repent. That means I want to turn around. I was headed the wrong direction. I was visiting God, but I want a relationship with God. I want a brand new beginning today. I want forgiveness for my sins. I'm going to count to three. If that's you, at the count of three, I want you to raise your hand. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to call you out. Every eye closed. 
Everybody praying in a moment of privacy and prayer. If that's you, would you raise your hand? I just want to see who I'm going to pray for. Hold it up high enough, long enough for me to see you. Then you can put it right back down. One, two, three. Raise your hand. I see you. 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 Amazing. 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 I see you. I see you. I see you. Awesome. 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 Additional seating. I see you in the back. Additional seating. You raise your hands back there as well. We have host team that wants to help you. Pastors that want to help you. You can put your hands down all across this place. Come on, let's say this prayer together. We believe in our heart. Now we're going to confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and you will be saved. I want all of us to repeat this prayer together. Repeat after me. Say, Father, thank you for today. Thank you for this opportunity. Today I confess that I'm a sinner and that I need you. Jesus, I know you're the Son of God that you died for my sins, and on the third day, you resurrected. Jesus, come into my life. Be my Lord and be my Savior. From today on, I'm forgiven, I'm saved, and I'm healed. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. Thank you, Andrea. Come on, can we put our hands together for everybody that made that decision? Hey. Hands went up all over the auditorium. I'm sure an additional seating online as well. Reach out to us online. We're going to send you a gift. If you're here, as you go look for a connect group that starts next week, and you see somebody waving this bag, say, hey, I did that prayer with Alex. They're going to give you this free bag. It has a whole lot of things in there, especially a Bible. We want to give you absolutely for free. One more time. Can we put our hands together for them? Come on, all across the auditorium. Come on, why don't we leave out of here praying, and then we're going to sing this song. Every hand lifted. Father, we love you. Thank you for all that you've done for us. Thank you that you're with us. Thank you for the glory that resides in us now. You are the hope of glory. Father, help us this week to walk with you, know you, talk, hear from you, guide us and direct our steps. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, and amen. Come on, let's sing it out one more time.